internal, realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John contains some of the most profound spiritual teachings in the Bible. In the first chapter, many several truths are suggested concerning higher states, stages of self-realization. Here, John the Baptist is described as one reaching up towards that high state. He was not the light, the gospel tells us, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus Christ, by contrast, is described as the light itself. He was the true light which lighteneth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. One essential truth stands out in the teaching that Jesus came not to dogmatize people with a new teaching, but to bring them timeless universal truths. Disciples saw the master clothed in human form and therefore judged him in terms of his greatness relative to the greatness of other teachers. Wisdom, however, sees the master's very greatness in terms of a cosmic unity. There is a passage in the path by Swami Kriyananda in which he, this point is emphasized. The master, Paramahansa Yogananda, explained, the saint who attains that exalted consciousness never says, I am God, for he sees it as was the vast ocean that became his little wave of ego. The wave, in other words, would not claim when referring to the little self to be the ocean. At this juncture, Devi, who was present, cried exact excitedly, but sir, if you are one with the ocean, that means you are God. Why I, Master asked, say he, he is God. But still, sir, you are one with him, and he is the only reality. That means you, too, are God. <clears throat> but this body isn't God. You aren't identified with your body, sir, so one may still say that you are God. Well, in that case, why do you say you? You too are that. In a discussion of this sort, it is less confusing if we say he. But what's the difference? <laughs> the scripture says, Master began. It's only your humility, sir, Debbie broke in, that makes you distinguish between yourself and him. How can there be humility when there is no consciousness of ego? Triumphantly, Devi cried, but if you don't have ego left, that means you are God. <laughs> Master laughingly continued the earlier statement which Devi had interrupted. The scriptures say, he who knows Brahma becomes Brahma. There, cried Devi, you said it yourself. Master rejoined, still laughingly, I didn't say it. It's the scripture that says so. <laughs> Master, in other words, would not identify those words with the human body speaking them. It was in his overarching spirit that he saw himself one with the infinite. But Devi was unable to make this mental leap from a pure expression of infinite to infinity itself. You quoted the scripture, sir, he reminded Master relentlessly, 
that means you agree with them. Recognizing that the distinction was perhaps too subtle for many to grasp, Master concluded, well, he who says he is God isn't God, and he added with a smile, he who says he isn't, isn't. <laughs> and there the subject rested amid general laughter. The, uh, the greater a spiritual teaching, the more greatly we betray it by partic- particularizing it, it with dogmas. Truth itself, not the Christian truth or the Hindu truth, incarnates on earth with the birth of a fully liberated master, as the Bhagavad Gita teaches in the fourth chapter, unborn, changeless, lord of creation and controller of my cosmic nature, that I am, yet entering nature, I am dressed in the cosmic garment of my own maya, delusion. O Bharata, Whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth, taking visible form. I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. My name is Atman. This is Bhakti Marg. I'd like to welcome you to Sunday service, especially those who are here today as guests for the yoga therapy program or personal retreat or those who are joining with us around the world. We'll continue with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Paramahansa Yogananda's Book of Prayer Demands. This is number 36, Prayers on the Beads of Love. I tell my prayers on the beads of love, strung with my devotion. I direct them beyond all names, God, Spirit, Brahma, Christ, Shankara, Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad, for all names are thine, and I shun no name, for I know thou dwellest in all forms. In thy cosmic dramas on the stage of time and in thy myriad acting roles, thou hast assumed innumerable names. Behind them all, too, I know thy one changeless name, eternal, conscious, self-existent bliss. Many times have I played with thee. Many songs of thine have I sung. On the ocean bosom of thy eternal life, I've been nurtured by thee as a tiny drop of life. I remember thy warm touch through the centuries. Whenever, feeling the chill of separation, I turned homeward to thee. Again, in this daylight of remembrance, let me play with thee. Let me sing thy songs. So as it says in the readings, the gospel of St. John is one of the more profound and mystical teachings of the gospels in the Bible. The first four weeks of the year we've been reading from this chapter of St. John. And as I was reflecting on it, I was just thinking that, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just realize those truths and that those truths could become more known in this world because just in those very first verses, the fourth through the 16th verse, there's some incredibly profound truths which are the basis of yogic philosophy, of Vedantic philosophy, of Christian mysticism. And if we could just bring those out a little bit more in the world, we'd be a lot better place. 
So as he talks about uh, talking about Jesus, is that was the light, the lighteth, the light that lighteth the world. It was the light of all men. What does this say? It means that there's an underlying unity to all life, that there's the divine oneness has become manifest in this world, and that that's in everything. It's in all pervading all beings in the world. The second part of it, when John the Baptist was talking, he said he was not that light. We're talking of John the Baptist. He was not that light, but he came to bear witness to the light. What does that imply? That implies that there's a process of knowing of that light, that all beings can get closer to that. It's not just the light is here, everyone else is here. Here's someone who's in the middle. John was bearing witness. John had begun to commune with that light, but had not attained full realization. Well, that says that all beings who are of that light, of that word, of that oneness, can move towards attainment of that. And then what's the next step that he, or the next part in the verses that he says? He says, to all those who received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. What does that say? It says that those that have achieved that, those prophets, those ones, those avatars that have come, are showing the way. They're opening a window of grace, a way for us to come to that, to, they, to those who received him, to those who learned these teachings, to those who added their devotion to look for that, can go up to that. And the last part, he says, is there was a, this was the, the light of God. This was the grace and the truth of the Father. This says... This is what you're looking for. This is what it is that's going to satisfy you. This is what it is and this why you've come into this world. It's that grace and that truth that you're after. It's not the material things of this world. It's not the ego consciousness. All life, the purpose of that is to attain to that. So there's the oneness. There's a chance of all of us to move toward that oneness. There's the channels that have been brought, these great masters that have opened the window toward that oneness. And that oneness is what we're truly seeking. That's Vedanta philosophy. That's the philosophy of yoga right there in these first, you know, in these, these little verses of St. John. And you just sort of wonder, well, what would it mean? You know, this is truth. At some point, we're going to realize this truth. What would happen if the world suddenly started paying attention to these truths? Well, the first thing would happen would be there'd be no more savages, infidels, others, ones that we can't talk about, the exclusion. We're all one. There is no other outside that we can say, we're here and we need to move you aside. We need to kill you. We need to get you out of here. There's a oneness of life. What does it also say? It says there's many prophets. There's not just one prophet. There's many prophets that have come into this world. As it says in the Gita, when they, we incarnate, when virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate. So there's many prophets, which implies there's many paths to God. There's many paths to this truth of this oneness. What would it be like if we suddenly realized this in this world? There'd be a whole lot less strife and war. And you know, We've been at this for a really long time, or at least the history that we know. I mean, the... You know, the Muslims versus the Christians and the, the fighting the holy wars, the crusades. There's been the Protestants versus the Catholics. You know, no, our way is right. You know, a hundred years, the 16th century, there was a year that went on. There was a war that went on for a hundred years in Europe fighting about, no, it's the Protestant way. No, it's the Catholic way. 
And it still continues today. There's the, you know, the evangelical right that says, no, ours is the way that's right, and the only way to Christ is through this. And then there's the Muslims who are saying, no, we have to reestablish the, the way of the prophet, the way of Muhammad, and if you don't like our way, well, it's our duty to kill you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just such simple truths. If we could just sort of... Now think about this. There's more than one prophet. There's more than one way. It's okay. We're all one at some level. And what would, it, what would happen if we all started believing that, oh yeah, what I really want is to be one with that light, with that oneness of God like we talked about, instead of, I think I'm going to look for my happiness somewhere else, in sex, in intoxicants, in money, in power. What would happen if we suddenly said, oh yeah, that's not what I want. I want to become one with that light and to search for that. Well, the world would probably be a whole lot easier to live with. There'd be a lot less stress on this planet. There'd be a lot less delusion. There'd be a lot less fighting. There'd be a lot, uh, be a lot more peaceful place if we could just realize that. Well, I don't know. We're not quite there. <laughs> but one can dream. And you also have to say, though, all right, or I, I get it. We're not quite there because we're in a longer drama and just because the truths are there and they've been put out, it doesn't mean we're suddenly going to be able to live by those. And there's a whole cosmic drama going on. And Swami said and Master said, you know, we're just really little playthings in this grand drama that's going on in the universe, that there's this evil, there's good, and there's this grand in the universe, not just our planet. There's this grand battle that goes on on many, many, many different levels. Uh, in Hindu mythology, they talk about the Asuras and the Devas. Well, it's true. Master said that that's true. There's the forces of good and light, and there's the forces of Maya, delusion, that are pulling us down. And that's the way God created this, this universe. It's the way our planet is engaged in it. And we're at this point in history where we're just coming out of a fairly dark age where... It was really was the material that dominated, where even, even the best that we could aspire to, you know, heaven, what is it that motivates so many people in, in different religions, be it the Islamic religion or the Christian religion? It's that promise of heaven. Well, what's the promise of heaven? Is it this oneness with the light and infinite bliss? No. It's still a material vision. It's, you know cool breezes blowing through and wafting perfumes and people strumming harps and communing with the angels and or you know having the being waited on by the six virgins or whatever you get when you go to heaven after you've done these things which I won't get into <laughs> it's still a material vision and it's so much of of that Kali Yuga consciousness of that darker age where people can't see past their own individuality, their own, their own little, little sense of being and that material is the only reality. So we're kind of stuck in that. Now things are getting better. We've moved into a higher age. We've moved into Dwapara Yuga. But we're still at a point of clashes. Of we're not really fully into Dwapara Yuga. We're only really 300 years into it and just the last 100 years has been Dwapara proper where that underlying sense of energy and oneness has come more to the fore but we have a long way to go and there's still a clashing of forces between these these old concepts these Kali Yuga concepts of 
of separation of form of of solidity versus moving into these truths that were expounded in in the depths of Kali Yuga by by the apostle John but you know the understanding just isn't there and it's getting better i mean there are signs of hope i mean the pope the head of the catholic church recently said, well, we all worship the same God. I mean, that's pretty revolutionary. There's not too many popes in the 10th century who would have said that. And it's a movement. And there's more and more people recognizing that, yes, I have my religion, I have my path, I have my prophet, but yeah, there's other ones. They can, we can realize that too. Here in Nevada County, we have Buddhist monks who are coming to give, you know, they're sharing their teachings, they're making sand mandalas. This last couple of weeks, they were in the schools of Nevada County talking about mindfulness meditation. Now, that's pretty revolutionary. This probably wouldn't have happened a couple hundred years ago when people were a little bit more stuck. So there's signs of hope as we're moving forward and as we're getting farther into this consciousness. But the reality is, don't hold your breath. We've got a ways to go. It's not going to be suddenly that this world changes. So what do we do with that? We say, well... If I can understand these two truths that St. John was talking about, the oneness, the ability to reach for that light, the channels that are coming to us in life, well, then I can practice my life. I can start arranging my life in that way. And so when I'm feeling anger, greed, fear, hatred, jealousy, those are all emotions that are negating that sense of oneness. I have to remind myself, okay, no, that is not of the one, of the truth. That's separating. That's me saying, you, other, I am mad at you. Or you, I am getting fearful that you are going to attack me. Leave that aside. That's, that's negating that oneness that we know is there. What else does it give? Well, it can give a real sense of humility. Because if I know that there's those who are not that light, but bearing witness to that light, well, I'm aspiring to bear witness to that light. But I know I'm not quite there yet. And my sense of what's perfect and what's light and what's right, it may be diluted still. And so that gives a little pause. And it says, yeah, let's get a little humble about this. I mean, I'm, I'm on the spiritual path. I'm making an attempt. But I'm not quite there. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll just step aside and realize that there may be some chance for error in my way of looking at the life. What does that also do? Well, it also gives a whole sense of, of looking at others, and it gives a lot of compassion, or at least not a compassion tolerance for others. Everybody is somewhere on that continuum of going from unrealized manifestation to perfectly realized in that oneness. Everybody has a right to their own delusion. I can't say that your delusion's any worse than my delusion. I just have to recognize we're both in delusion. But it creates a sense of compassion. It creates a again, if you can't go on full-on compassion, at least it's tolerating what's going on in the world and what's, what people are doing. Said, so, you know, your delusion, okay, you'll come out of it. You, got, you, know, you may have 900,000 more lifetimes to go, but it's okay. <laughs> You're going to come out of this, just like I'm going to come out of this sometime. And what about, you know, Realizing that, yes, this is what I aspire to, this, this becoming one with that light. That's where I'm trying to go. What does that do to help me live my life? Well, it says, recognize those times when you are getting closer. 
when you have touched the hem of the Divine Mother. For me, it was, I mean, I look back and there's times before I was on the spiritual path where often out in nature or something like that where, you know, I felt a sense of, you know, at the time I would say, well, you know, I must have just zoned out or something because I, you know, I kind of lost what I was doing and felt this sense of peace and oneness as I was looking at a lake or something like that. Well, if you tune into these teachings, no, that's real. That's not like you zoned out and you lost touch with reality. That's you're getting closer to reality. And really pay attention to those moments. Or as you come onto the spiritual path and you have these experiences in meditation where you're, you do feel that peace, that deep peace, that oneness, where you're able to touch into that or, or start, you know, as you're feeling that you're moving towards what that goal is. And really pay attention to those and hold on to those and realize that they are real and that these other things that you get pulled out, because we all still, you know, Ananda Village, it's no different. We're not saints yet. We're on this continuum of bearing witness to the light, but we're not there yet. And we get pulled out into myic delusions. You know, I'm going to go do something or I'm going to watch this or if I could only have this or if I bought this car. If I, You know, we still get pulled out into those things, but pay attention. Is that really what you wanted? Did it give you that same feeling, that same satchitananda, existence, knowledge, and bliss, absolute? Is that what it's moving toward, or is it just another side, you know, another side byway in the path of maya, and, okay, bring it back to center? So it's be aware. Be aware of what it is that's in your life and what it's doing. And then, that, of course, that brings us to the last one, the fourth one that we were talking about, and that's the... The avatars, the masters, the ones that have come to open up that window to that path to, do, to the divine. And this is, I can't tell you how, how pleasing it is, how supportive, how wonderful it is to contemplate that passage from the Bhagavad Gita. And in my house, I have this big, giant poster that's framed, and it's a picture of, uh, it's a quite well-known painting, many of you have probably seen. It's a picture of Krishna driving a chariot. There's four white horses, and Arjuna is sitting in the chariot, and here's Krishna driving the horses. Well, underneath that is this sloka from the Gita, the fourth chapter. When virtue declines and vice predominates, I take visible form, I incarnate in this world, to destroy evil and to reestablish virtue. And it's just such a, it's just hopeful. You know, you just go, wow, somebody's watching. Somebody knows what's going on down here. And, you know, they come and help us every once in a while. And, you know, where are we now? We're at this transition point between Kali Yuga and Dwapara Yuga. And we have five avatars who have recently incarnated Jesus was a while ago, but he was, he's still active in this. But this incarnation has come during this transition to help us. And they've incarnated many times before. You know, Babaji said was Krishna. Master had many incarnations. He was Arjuna in the past. Lahiri Mahashaya was, you know, uh, Ashoka in India, the great king. They've come, the three wise men who came to visit Jesus. Lahiri, Master, uh, Babaji, and Yukteswar. So they've come, but they've come during this time. And we can tune into that. We can, you know, we can draw on that power, that window. And that's, it's very reassuring. It's our salvation. And you start thinking, you know, as it says in the readings today, I said, well, 
he who is one with Brahma, and he who knows Brahma has become one with Brahma. Well, Brahma is the creator of the universe. That's that represents that energy. Creating galaxies, doing, you know, complete control over this manifestation. So if these avatars are one with Brahma, they have certain power that they come with. And you start asking, well, why don't these guys just get on with it? Why don't they just, you know, destroy evil for once and for all and, you know, just be done with it and, you know, touch me once here and get me out of here? <laughs> they certainly have the power to do that. But that's not why they come and that's not what they've been offered to us, what God has offered to us. And you can sort of, I remember the parable of the, of the frog that Master talked about. And it's, you know, it's telling in this instance when we start thinking about how come these masters don't do a little more. And this one, there's a frog who's enjoying himself on a wide, open, sandy beach in front of this huge lake. And it's just leading a blissful life. He's the only frog on the beach. And there's this wonderful ocean or body of water expanse in front of him. And Every once in a while, he hears this croaking sound from over on the other side of the dunes. And, you know, he's just enjoying life. And then at one point, he decided, those really sound like frogs. Maybe I should go check this out. So he hops over to the other side of the dune and looks down. And here he sees this very small little well filled with thousands of frogs who are all jumping on each other and bouncing around and making an incredible racket. And he goes, kind of looks back at his big lake that he's enjoying and he looks at this little well down here and said wow these people need some help these frogs so he hops down there and he starts talking to them said you know you don't have to be in this little well here with all these other frogs there's this great expanse of, of lake over here and beach and it's wonderful and said, what are you talking about what do you mean if, uh, this is the only water there is you better go talk to our king so he hops over and finds the king, and he starts talking to the king of the frogs, and he says, you know, king, your people could be a lot happier. There's, like, a lot big expanse over here of water. Why don't you just guys hop out over here and find this new whole vista? And the king says, what are you talking about? No, this is the only water there is, and I am the king of this water, and these are my people, and what are you trying to do? And he says, no, no, really, really, there's a much bigger body of water. He said, how big? And he jumps a quarter way across the well. That big? It's a lot bigger than that. That was just a little jump. I mean, this is, you couldn't even jump across this. What are you talking about? He takes another jump. Is it that big? And he jumps halfway across. I said, well, he chuckles the other frog. He said, you know, it really is a lot bigger than that. I mean, you could, you could be a lot happier over here. I said, what are you talking about? It can't possibly be. And you're just trying to lead these people astray. And I think you're, you're just telling lies and trying to stir things up here and, and usurp my power. And I think, this is a, I think this is terrible. And he starts getting all these other frogs all riled up and everybody starts getting angry and they all jump on the poor little frog and they kill him. <laughs> so you wonder why when the masters come, they don't just put it right out there. <laughs> And you can think about, you know, you think about uh, Jesus' words in the 23rd chapter of Matthew. said, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest those to sent unto you. You know, it's a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> 
delusion is strong. These forces of evil and this whole grand cosmic scheme of things, it's not that easy to overcome. And, you know, you look at Master when he came to this world, and, you know, we think about things are not looking so good now. Well, think about the 1920s uh, where he came. You know, vice predominates. Yeah, that was pretty much it in America. Vice was predominating. And Master came into that world. And, and you know, Swami would say it was just when he thought about it, it was just sort of unbelievable. It was like this great energy coming in, and he was trying to talk to kindergartners about, you know, spiritual truths. Nobody had any basis for this. That the, this what he was trying to do just wasn't understood. People saw Master, what he was teaching, even when they thought they got it, they said, oh, yeah, you can help me be a lot more successful and become a millionaire. Master says, well, yeah, that would work, but, you know, there's more. And he kept trying to show more and more. And, and what happened to him? He was persecuted as well. It just He had to put up with incredible things. There were, at one point, there were two or three people waiting for him to come out of Mount Washington that had been sent by other Christian pastors that they wanted to, I don't know if they were going to kill him or beat him up, but, you know, Master saw this and he didn't come down because he knew they were out there. He once spoke out against people. He said, you know... The, we, you're the, the divine mother doesn't like it when the rich prey on the poor and he named names in this lecture and those people in New York sent a gunman after him and he, you know, the people said oh you shouldn't have said that and you know, I don't think it's going to be safe for you to walk home and Master said it's okay um, you know, God is with me and he was walking home or walking back to the station and these, this gunman came out of an alley and put a gun in his back and said you shouldn't have said that about those people I was sent here to kill you and he just Master just turned around and said, you know, God doesn't like it when his, his wealthy people pick on the poor people. And why is it that you do what you do? Satan, come out of it. And he just, you know, gave him a shot of the divine power. And the gunman dropped his gun and ran off and said, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? But, you know, he had to deal with this. He was, he was once banned from a city. The sheriff of a city in the south said, you have 24 hours to leave town. I mean, this is an avatar. And, you know, if you wanted to destroy evil, he could just say, you know, one of those, <laughs> one of those superheroes in the movie, you know, he could just he could vaporize them and <laughs> a sheriff wouldn't be there anymore. But, <laughs> but that's not, you know, that's not the divine plan. That's not really what, how it works. And, there, you know, there's a divine playwright who's written this cosmic drama and who could come down and, and change it if he wanted to. But he doesn't. And someone in the 1940s asked Master, he said, well, you know, sir, if all these masters have all this great power, how come they don't do something about this war? How come they don't stop this evil? This was the beginning of World War II. And he said, well, it's a difficult thing to understand. And many times as I was growing up, I, was, I got mad at the Divine Mother for these Inequities, this injustice that was in the world. But then, as I got further in realization, I just realized that that's what it was. And the Divine Mother has given people free will. There's the forces of evil and good, and the Divine Mother has given us free will to choose those countries and individuals. And if the countries choose to live in war and to fight each other and to live in this delusion, that's their business. That's their free will. And we can't interfere. It would change the whole cosmic drama to suddenly say, let's interfere. And he even said, yeah, if the masters wanted to, they could come out of the clouds and with electromagnetic forces vaporize those who are, who are pursuing evil in this world. But if the cosmic creator doesn't do that, 
Why would those who are just manifestations of that, those who are in tune with that, why would they come and do that? It's not part of the divine plan. The divine plan lets people, you know, wallow in their own delusion, create their own karma, do what they want to do in this forces against this fight against good and against evil. And we, who are the masters, come to try to shift things a little bit, but within the, the whole cosmic drama. And it's the, it's the divine playwright who's written the whole drama. And that last chapter, everything becomes clear when you get to read that last chapter. And you'll understand why the drama is the way it is and why people take the roles that they do and why the masters behave the way they do. But only those that are in tune with God get to read that last chapter. And so the lesson for us is, well, what is, what can we do in this time? We're going into a very difficult time in the world. We are in a difficult time. It may get a little bit more tense in the next five or six months. You know, there's astrological conjunctions, and there's certainly signs of a lot of chaos and a lot of ignorance. I mean, you know, you got, on the one hand, the tragedy of, you know, in the Middle East. On the other hand, the buffoonery of the presidential race. I mean, it's... It's, we're in chaos. I mean, you know, vice is starting to predominate here, I think. So we've had these masters. We've had this avatar, this incarnation sent into the world. What do we have to do? We have to tune in, do what we can as individuals. We have to pray for that we can become channels of light. Pray for that light is recognized. Pray that people can start moving to the way that those masters are showing us. Because it, has, it takes everyone. It takes all these channels. It's not just the masters can suddenly force someone to do it. But we as channels, by doing our meditation, by practicing Kriya Yoga, by selflessly serving, by having compassion, by spreading these teachings, by helping people understand, that's the way we're going to move forward into Dwapara Yuga. That's the way we're going to help Dharma or virtue to become a certain ascendant in the world again.